good morning, everyone. Can we just take a second and just be so proud of ourselves for getting up and getting our families here with one less hour of sleep? Can we just take a moment? Like, yes, we did it today. Like, yes. Not to mention, it is just a privilege to be in the house of God, uh, worshiping with other people. Um, of course, that too, but, but wow, something special about, we're, we all did something together today. We all got here. Good job. That's awesome. Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ashley Hattinger, and I am the Team Life Pastor here at Radiant Life, and I'm, it's just such a privilege to serve. And hey, like you heard in the video, I'm so excited, and we are so excited for Palm Sunday. If you want to be a part of making Palm Sunday happen, and we're asking that this is an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing, if you say... Radiant Life is my church. I'm a part of the Rad Fam. I encourage you to sign up online because we'll need you. We're, we're planning on at least 10,000 eggs per service that day. And talk about an outreach. How long has it been since we've done a true outreach just between life and the in the world and all that all that stuff going on? We are so excited to invite the community here and to get a chance to do that. And by the way, if you have a kid in your life that doesn't attend a church, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a grandkid or a cousin, that's the day to invite them because they're going to leave with a whole bunch of candy <laughs> as well. So uh, just encouraging you to do that. Uh, well, today is, let's see, we are getting toward halfway through March and April 1st is actually mine and my husband Mike's anniversary. So we're coming up on our fifth anniversary. We got married on April Fool's Day. Yeah. Yes, we did. It really happened. There's a birth certificate. It wasn't a trick. We really did. Not a birth certificate. We, a, um, a marriage license. That's what it was. It was signed. We're, we're good. We're stamped by the government. All that kind of stuff. But around anniversary time, isn't it fun just to reminisce? So married or not in the room, you have anniversaries of things you've done, um, whether it's like work or school or just all the different things where you can go back and go, wow, like that was a big part of our story, actually. And this week I was thinking about the first time Mike and I said, I love you to each other. And uh, it, was, it was one of those things, it was during the summer, we had just gotten off a week of youth camp. So if anyone's done that, we were tired we were, man, still trying to get some mud, like, out of places and, um, you know, had to throw all the dirty clothes in the laundry, that, that kind of thing. But um, we, were, we dropped off the kids, so they went home to their parents, and finally we had a moment to be quiet, and, and that, that happened. And how many of you know that, like, every relationship needs those moments of clarity, right? At some point, there has to be a moment, like, a defining moment of clarity, and in that moment... It's a moment of saying, okay, I know who you are to me, and I know who I am to you. And you can go years and years based off of moments like that in a relationship, can't you? Well, today we will be in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. So this is your chance. I just want to invite you, if you have your Bible with you, if you have your smart device with you, scroll there. Get there to Matthew 16, verse 13. And in Matthew, very much like in real relationships in life, we get to watch a very specific relationship develop uh, among a lot of people, but specifically the relationship throughout Matthew is weaved Peter and Jesus and how they go from being complete strangers. Well, Jesus knew Peter. He called out Peter, but 
they went from being basically strangers to this moment that we will be reading about today. So at this point in the story of Matthew, Peter has been following Jesus for about two years. And at this point, Peter has seen Jesus teach. He's, he's, they've traveled just the countryside of Israel. He's watched him perform miracles. And even one of the main stories just before this story that we're going to talk about today, Peter and Jesus walked on water together. So that's a good story. If you've never read it or if it's been a while, I encourage you, go back and, and read that story. And in that story, it's so funny because Jesus is walking on water, and Peter goes, Jesus, if that's really you, invite me to come out there with you. And Jesus says, okay, bet. Like, come, come out to me. And that's just a super cool moment between Jesus and Peter. And now what's happening, uh, starting in Matthew 16, the story shifts. Jesus had been traveling and preaching and doing miracles, and now Jesus was making his final descent with his disciples into the city of Jerusalem. So they were up in the Galilee area, and it was time to travel the countryside. And what we will learn, but what Jesus knew, is they were on their way to Jerusalem so that Jesus could do what he came to do, right? In Jerusalem, as this journey ends, he will be arrested, he will be beaten and tried, all those things ultimately crucified, and even more ultimately, he will raise again after being buried for three days. And so that is where we're headed. The story is shifting. But before they just make their way to Jerusalem, Jesus takes the disciples on a detour. And in this detour is where we are going to encounter the story today. He took them on a detour because Jesus had one defining moment of clarity, one of those relationship-defining moments, very much like the I love you. He wanted to have one of those moments with his disciples. And what we are going to read about today is the defining moment, the one moment between Jesus and Peter that changed everything. And this is, by the way, the first time in the book of Matthew that Jesus is called the Messiah. So that's a, that's a churchy word, right? Or that's a, that's a word maybe if you've been around the church, you've, you've heard that word a little more. We call Jesus the Messiah. In Matthew, Messiah had come up a couple times, but up till this point, it had always been the narrator cluing in the readers to this. So as we read Matthew, kind of very similar to watching people fall in love. You're like, okay, when are they going to say it? And it's very similar as we read Matthew. We go, okay, when, when's it going to happen? We know he's Messiah. When are they going to figure it out? And this is the moment. So we get to step into this moment in Matthew 16, in, starting in verse 13, and we will read through verse 20. So starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, all right, let's stop there if we have a picture on the screen. And what we have here, Caesarea Philippi, maybe you're online and listening. This is the place that really it's like a big rock side. So you're like walking up kind of to a mountain. If you're in the room, you can see little specks of people. There's like some cool Roman style buildings happening there, like a lot of steps. But you can see the little people compared to like this huge, like massive, like plateau cliff, right? That's kind of what we're seeing here. This is the backdrop. This is where the detour, like Jesus specifically took them there. 
on this detour. So they came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, Okay, that's what everyone else says about me. But what do you say about me? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So this is the first time Messiah has been said by someone in Jesus' life. This is it. This is the moment. This was the life-changing, relationship-changing moment between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So this is, without question, the defining moment in the Gospels, particularly for Peter. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That was Peter's answer to Jesus' question. And what Peter was saying when he said that was, Jesus, you're not just what other people think you are. You aren't just a good teacher. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a charismatic person that people like to follow when you inspire them and make them feel good. You're not just someone that can do magic trips and perform miracles. You are the Messiah. And just like I love you is more than three words, right? When you say I love you, you're, there's a lot in that statement, isn't there? There's a lot of history involved in that. There's a lot of future involved in that. Just like saying I love you is a loaded comment. Calling Jesus the Messiah is even more loaded. There were centuries of significance behind this term. So the word in the Greek here, in the Greek New Testament, uh, Messiah, is the word Christos, which sounds like Christ. Have you ever heard Jesus called Jesus Christ? So that's, that's the word for Messiah. So when we say that, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. That's the name we gave him. Christ wasn't his last name, just in case uh, we needed to, to clear that up this morning. But Christos means the anointed one, the anointed one. So here is what Peter was saying. He was saying, Jesus, you're not what they say you are. You are the anointed one. You are the Christ. You're the one the prophets said would come. You are the awaited and appointed Davidic king. You are chosen by God and worthy to save us. Jesus, you are the priest who is qualified and appointed to stand between us and God. So once again, just like I love you has a lifetime of meaning in those words. Calling Jesus the Messiah, same thing. And then when he said, and you are the son of the living God, what Peter was saying there was you are God. 
You are God. And you are from God. You are from God. You're his son. He was saying, Jesus, you're it. You're it. You're it for me. That's what Peter was saying when he said this. This was their defining moment. So for the rest of our time, I want to talk about why this was such a defining moment. What did this moment mean? Why was this such a big deal? And then from that, we'll talk about maybe some ways that how, how maybe we can interact with that moment, how we can um, take some application and meaning from that. All right, does that sound good? And what we're going to do is start in verse 17, where Jesus replied to Peter. And we're going to go section by section through Jesus' reply to Peter. And we'll, we'll learn from what Jesus is saying, why this was such a defining moment. So we have verse 17. The first thing Jesus says is, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And then in verse 18, it says, And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So the first thing in Jesus' response is that he gave Peter a new name. Have you ever heard Peter called Simon Peter? Even in this story, um, I believe, where is it? In, in verse 16, Simon Peter answered. It even says, like the, the author put it in there just to like clue us in. Because we know Peter, right? We can picture Peter. We have some stories in our head. Um, he's even kind of popular just in general culture. So even someone that may not be a Christian but has been kind of around, you've heard the name Peter. But Simon, we don't hear about, but that's been his name up to this point. That was his given name. That was the name he had when Jesus called him, found him fishing with his brother. He, Jesus changed his name. So let's talk about this. First of all, Peter. In the Greek, Petros. Petros. And Petros means rock. So first he says, you are Peter. You are literally a rock. And here's what's even crazier. Let's look at this picture again. Where were they standing in Caesarea Philippi? They were standing by a really big rock, right? Here is what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you think this rock? I could imagine him like pointing up to just that huge rock face. You think this is powerful and impressive? What's really powerful and impressive is what I can build on this moment. And here's, here's what I love about Jesus changing Peter's name. Jesus didn't define Peter by what he got wrong, but by the one thing he got right. And here's the thing about Peter. He got a lot wrong. <laughs> Peter was irrational. He was reckless with his words and sword and actions. He, even in the story, the awesome story of them walking on water that had just happened, Jesus had just accused him, saying, you of little faith, like straight at Peter, like you of little faith. And, and not only that, but even after this story, he still got some stuff wrong. And by some stuff, I mean like literally a couple verses later. So if you have your Bible open today or if you're scrolling, you can go to the next story. And Jesus calls Peter another name, and it's Satan. So we have that going on with Peter. Not only that, but if you 
know the, the rest of the story, one, of, one thing that Peter is known for is towards the end, there in Jerusalem, he denies Jesus three times, that he even is associated with Jesus when he's on the cross dying and like bleeding to death, suffocating to death. So Peter got a lot wrong. That's safe to say, right? But what I love is the name Jesus gave Peter was based on this one moment that they had here at Caesarea Philippi. So that means Jesus, knowing all that Peter was up to this point and all that Peter will be after this point, he looks at him and says, you are Peter, I'm changing your name, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus said, I can use that. (laughs) He looked at Peter and said, I can use that. The one thing right. Okay, so I'm curious. Who in this room is into, like, fixing up houses? Or just even the concept of it. Maybe you've actually done it, or you've watched, like, the fixer-upper kind of stuff. I'm talking, who are the people you can walk into a room? I'm talking, like, a room that has some issues. But you can see it. You can see where the new couch is going to go. You know what color the walls are going to be. You can picture your family in there or your friends in there. Who can do that? I cannot do that. <laughs> so that, that is amazing. I have friends, uh, Mike, Mike and I have friends in Cleveland that a couple years ago, they bought a 100-year-old house. And uh, do you guys know what Zillow is? It's like, it's, a, it's an app, it's a website. Now that I'm talking about it, I'm sure my iPad will send me an ad for Zillow later tonight. Uh, it may think that I need to buy a house now probably, but Zillow is like a popular, um, it's like one of the main places you go like if you're looking for houses and stuff. And you know that if you go on Zillow, uh, the realtor, they, they make the pictures of the houses look really nice, right? So like you flip through, the, the lighting is right, the staging of the, the house is right, all that stuff. Okay, so our friends bought this 100-year-old home, and my friend was so excited. She was showing me the pictures, and I just remember thinking the whole time, good for you. <laughs> I couldn't see it. Guys, that house needed a lot of work, a lot of work. But you know what our friends had that I don't have? they could see its potential. They didn't even have kids yet. Uh, when they bought the house, uh, they had one on the way. They, could, they knew what room would be their son's room. They knew what, what color his walls were gonna be. They knew what wall they needed to knock out and what, what to paint and they needed to fix the ceiling. They could see it. They could see their family growing up there. And I couldn't, but they could they could see it. So when I saw this 100-year-old house and was like, oh, good for you, like even the Zillow pictures, I was like, okay, this is, I'm so happy for you guys, congratulations. Um, Even even that, um, that they could see it, they could see it. And here's the thing, Jesus has that same ability to see it, but with people. And they say, like, you know, speaking of, like, the the fixing up houses kind of world, there's a phrase out there, kind of a saying that says, if the bones are good, what? The rest don't matter, right? The the point is that if the house, if the structure is good, 
really with the right person, with the right vision who can, who can see it and know its potential and get it to its potential, it, the rest doesn't matter. And that's how Jesus looks at people. So just like our friends signed a contract on this house that didn't look good, guys, didn't look good. But he, that day at Caesarea Philippi, he signed a contract with Peter. And he said, yeah, you may not look good, but you, you got one thing right. You got one thing right, and I can sign my contract on you. So regardless of Peter's past or his future brokenness, his future failures, his past failures, Jesus chose to build his church. He chose Peter. And let's not underestimate that because we are here today because of that choice that Jesus made back at Caesarea Philippi. We are in a church today centuries later, millennia later, because Jesus knew that the statement Peter made, the belief Peter had in him to know who he was, was enough to reach the world, to reach centuries and generations later. And Jesus said, yes, that's what I can use. That's the faith that I can use. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, listen, if someone made a Zillow profile on me, it would not be pretty. Like, even the best photographer couldn't, like, the best lighting, yeah. Like, there's, there's no hope for me here. Maybe that's you today, and that's kind of where you're sitting. Well, I want to tell you that if Jesus could look at Peter and see what he was capable of and see what, what he could do despite all of his past and future mess-ups, he looks at you the same way. It's not about getting everything right. It's about getting one thing right. And Peter got that one thing right that day. It has nothing to do with how perfect or spiritual you are. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to be just an expert on Christian living. And it has, you know what? It has nothing to do with the names other people have given you. The only qualification to be used by Jesus is that you know him. That's it. That's the only qualification, is that you know him for who he is. And you know what? I want you to hear me today. Jesus has a new name for you. He knows what you are capable of. He can see what he can do with your life and your belief. Doesn't matter what the Zillow profile looks like. He sees that and has that for you, just like he did for Peter. And you know what? This is... This is something that I think our culture doesn't get right. And what happens is there's this, there's this kind of idea that first in life, you figure out who you are, right? Like we tell young people, figure out who you are. Then once you learn who you are, come back and tell us who you are, and then you can fit Jesus into that, you can fit faith into that. And that's kind of the, the order culture gives us. That's what we tell young people today, just in general. But I think in this passage, it shows us a different order. The order instead is Jesus asks one question. Who do you say that I am? And then when you answer that, then Jesus says, now let me tell you who you are based on you knowing me. And so if you're a young person in this room, particularly young, this could be anyone, 
Um, meaning in life is important, right? Purpose in life is important. A sense of identity, who I am in this world is important. I want you to know that if you start with this question, you can't go wrong. But if you don't start here, I think you'll find you'll be trying to do something that was never meant for you to do or to base your life on. And here's the thing, on this rock, like what's a rock? It's steady, right? It's steady, it's there throughout centuries. I've been to Caesarea Philippi. I've been there and stood there at that rock face 2,000 years later. That thing isn't going anywhere because it's strong, right? Do you know what does go places? Not identity in Jesus, that stays. But what does go places is careers change. So if you identify yourself on career or if on a relationship you have or on your education or any number of things, if you put your definition and your self-worth in that first, when that gets taken or when transition happens or it shifts, it won't be that rock holding you steady. It'll be something that falls where instead Jesus, as your Savior, as your Messiah, that will stay firm no matter what else comes your way. That won't transition or change. That'll be the rock that Jesus builds your life on. So get to know Jesus for who he is and let him give you identity and purpose. Start with Jesus. Don't start with you and then fit Jesus in. That won't work. That won't work. So that's the first thing Jesus did was he changed Peter's name, which was a huge deal. Here's the next thing Jesus said. Verse 18. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. So let's go back to this picture. All right. So to, uh, back then, it was called Caesarea Philippi. But before that, this place had another name, and it was first called Panius. I think you see the picture of the Grotto of Pan. This, this was kind of what, what it was called then. Um, you can see this kind of big picture of this like opening, which I'll talk about in a second. So the, the picture you had before, those buildings that were there, that's what were, was covering up this. Does that make sense? So they built these buildings at that rock face. And here's, here's what Panius was. So remember, this is ancient Caesarea Philippi, even more ancient than the ancient we're talking about right now. So in the third century BC, that means for 300 years before Jesus brought his disciples there to have that conversation that day, this massive rock plateau was the center of worship to a Greek god named Pan. So that makes sense, right? Panius, god named Pan, okay. In order to please Pan and get Pan to provide for them, his followers cast animal sacrifices into this deep water-filled cave where Pan lived. You see how big this cave is? This thing is huge. You can see, like, there are there's some people around there. You can barely see them in the picture because they're so small compared to this big rock face. And I want you to catch this. Greeks and Romans alike, for centuries, up to Jesus' day, believed that this cave was the gateway to the underworld. They believed Pan lived in Hades. So they literally thought that this was the gate to hell. So wow, what a detour, right, Jesus? <laughs> but when he says, when Jesus says, I'm gonna build my church with you on this rock, I'll build my church with you on this statement, 
He's not, when in the gates of Hades will not overcome it, it's not just a colloquialism. It's not just something nice and inspiring to say. You can kind of like picture like, okay, anything, Jesus, okay. No, he was saying, not only can I build my church with you, but I can build something that nothing, even literally hell itself, stands a chance against it. So Peter's statement had power with it. It wasn't just some offhand thing. Jesus was serious. He took him to what was known of their day, the literal gates of hell, and said, you don't understand. This doesn't even stand a chance against what I can do through you who made this statement of belief in me. What Jesus can build with one person who believes that he is the Messiah is unstoppable. So maybe you have been trying to do something and it hasn't been working out right? Maybe in life we, we've done that. We, we attempted something, it didn't work out. Could it be that maybe you're building your own thing? Because if you were building something that Jesus was a part of, nothing stands a chance. It would not fail. So I want to encourage you today, if you're in this room and you're here and frustrated because you've been just pushing up against something and it's just not going well, a relationship, a life choice, I don't know what it is, but could it be that maybe you haven't taken a moment to center yourself and your faith in Jesus and start there and say, Jesus, is this even something you're building? I just want to encourage you that that, that might be something to be thinking about if that's you. Because if you're letting Jesus build through you, nothing stands against even hell itself. So let's go on to the last thing Jesus says. And this is in verse 19. He says, I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. So here's what Jesus is saying. Peter, since you know who I am, not only will I use you, and I've chosen you, and I've signed my contract with you, not only will I build with you, and what I build will be impenetrable and unstoppable in this world, but I'm also going to give you influence over heaven itself. Jesus doesn't want puppets. He wants co-pilots. So today I brought a picture of Elmo. Anyone an Elmo fan in the room? I feel like that spans several people. Okay, here's the thing about Elmo. I hope this doesn't like shatter some people in the room. Here's the thing about Elmo. He is lifeless and has no personality. He's just like a piece of fabric until someone comes and like sticks his hand on him and gives him a personality and talks for him, right? That's how Elmo works. And I think often people think that being a Christian is like being this puppet where we're just lifeless and we have no personality and like only Jesus uses us. And now to be fair, let me say, there is something to be said about surrendering to, to God's will and letting him and the spirit of God work through you. I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about that. But what, what I'm saying is you aren't meant to be a puppet. That can't be farther from the truth. That perception that Christians are just these lifeless, personality-less things in this world that like only until God uses us. No, when, when Jesus is the Lord of your life, here's what he's saying here. When Jesus is the Lord of your life, when he is your Messiah, when you know him as the son of the living God, he hands you keys. He hands you keys. We have some teenagers in the room. 
You'll be starting to drive soon. You'll be getting your temporary license. We've been there. That was exciting, right? But like still like the licensed driver had to be in the car. Jesus is saying even farther than that. I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you the keys. I am handing over influence and authority to you because he doesn't just want to build with us. He wants to hand over keys, influence and authority to to build his church, to do his will on earth. And I don't want to talk too much more on this because next week my husband Mike is preaching, who's also a pastor here, if you don't know, and he will be talking a little bit about this, so I, I don't want to talk anymore. But all, all I want to say is this. At Radiant Life, from the, from the first time you attend party with the pastors, which is kind of like our first thing, it's the first Sunday of every month if you're new to the church, from party with the pastors on, we say this saying, we just want one more for Jesus, right? That's kind of like our motto here. It's something that we hold dear. It's something we say, we just want one more for Jesus. And I just want to say, if you know Jesus as Messiah, then he has given you the authority and influence you need to bring one more for Jesus in your world. That, you don't have to be, once again, a theologian. You don't have to have everything perfect. You have what you need. Jesus has given you what you need because of your faith in him, your belief in him as Messiah to go out into this world, to go to your job, to go to your school, to go to your family, your neighborhood, you name it, and bring one more for Jesus. You have that. So I just want to encourage you in that. I think sometimes Christians walk around maybe a little too sad when instead it should be, wow, like not only is Jesus building something in me, but he's actually given me influence over this world. And when, when, you, when you do it from a place of the Holy Spirit using you, anything is possible. And like we, we have been saying, it's also unstoppable and not going anywhere. So I want to encourage you with that today. Maybe you need to leave here with a little extra pep in your step that you've been handed the keys to make a difference in your world. So in conclusion, let's take a couple minutes and put ourselves, let's pretend that we, we are in Peter's shoes that we are at Caesarea Philippi, that Jesus took us there. So for a moment, maybe you can close your eyes. I think there's a picture on the screen. Feel free to kind of like visualize that. Maybe you're standing at Caesarea Philippi at that rock face with Jesus. So just encourage you to, to close your eyes, get yourself comfortable for a second. And here at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus looks at you and asks you the question, who do you say I am? Not who your parents say I am, not who your friends say I am, not your school, not your coworkers, not the news. Who do you say I am? And maybe you're like Peter today And maybe you've never made that statement back to him. Maybe you and Jesus have taken a winding road to this place very similar to him and Peter. And maybe just like Peter, he took you on a detour just to have this conversation with you because it's that important. Maybe for the first time you want to look Jesus back in the eyes and respond in your heart the answer to this question. 
And I want to say today, maybe you are in Peter's shoes, and this is the first time you say, you know what? I've believed in God, but I've never actually said it. Jesus, you're it. You are the Messiah. You're it. You did it. You saved me. And if that's you, this is your time to do that. And I want to encourage you. There may be some of you in this room that are not ready to answer that question the way that Peter did. But I encourage you, this is your chance to be honest with Jesus. This is who I think you are right now. And it may not be what Peter said. And I think that's okay because I think Jesus just wants to have a conversation with you about it. So here's the space today. This is your chance to answer that question. And maybe you're like Peter, but you were Peter a long time ago. And you did have a Caesarea Philippi moment with Peter, with, with Jesus. Maybe it was years ago, maybe it was earlier this year where you said, Jesus, you're it to me. You are my Messiah. And here's what I want to encourage you. And today, if maybe this is something new for you, I, I just want to once again reiterate what Jesus is saying through that statement, through that, that moment in your heart that you did, maybe even just a few minutes ago, uh, what that statement holds for you. So I just I want to speak this over you. I want you to know that the confession you made, whether it was today or years ago, is enough. Jesus has chosen you. He wasn't bought into a flashy Zillow page. He chose you. He knows exactly all the stuff you struggle with. He knows what you're still struggling with. He knows what he, he wants to build with you. He knows that what he's going to build through you is unstoppable. And he has, he has signed the contract with you and bought you. That statement you made is enough. He sees all that is possible. And he says, let's get to work. So if that's you today, I hope that you're encouraged in this room that from this place, you can say, okay, like what happened that day is enough. We'll figure out the rest together with Jesus. But that statement you made was enough. And what I'd love to do is just take a moment and close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us here and bringing us on a windy detour of a moment today for the chance to just watch this moment unfold with, with you and Peter that happened so long ago. But Lord, I pray for those of us in this room that, that whether we made that moment forever ago, we have yet to make that moment. Lord, I pray that we know that you've asked us that question. Who do you say I am? And would you give us the courage to answer that question in faith and in confidence that you are the Messiah, that you have revealed yourself to us. We know you're it. Lord, I pray for those that are deciding whether or not that this is the answer that they want to give you. And I pray that you would walk them through this. That Holy Spirit, just like you revealed it to Peter, would you reveal it to them too? In just the way that they need, Lord. And Lord, finally, I just, I pray that we would walk out of this room with our heads held up high in the faith, knowing that you are building with us. You've chosen us. You've signed the contract with us. You're not going back on this contract. And that what you want to build with us 
is unstoppable in this world. Lord, that's what I ask, and we thank you. Help us win one more for Jesus in our world, please, especially this Easter season, Lord. Help us win one more for Jesus. That's what we ask. I ask all of this in your name. Amen. And before we go, for the first time, for those of you that are new, this is something that's said after every service. This is the first time I have the script here. You ready? This happens after every service. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. Savor the presence of Jesus. Have a great day, everyone.